This evening's reading is from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Well, thank you to everyone who's led us um, up to this point. Let me pray as we begin. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us from these words. We sense that they're just so important, very similar to where we were this morning. Challenging time, a turning point in the life of the church in this part of the world. Help us to listen and respond in appropriate ways. And we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So just a couple of comments by way of getting our bearings in response to discussions uh, that have been happening around this uh, series Paul writes uh, to Timothy, one of the leaders. Let me just uh, correct something uh, I've said uh, before in the earlier sermons. It's so easy to say, Paul writes to Timothy, the only leader of the church in Ephesus. He is one of the leaders. He is one of the elders. Paul writes to Timothy, one of the leaders in the church, to encourage and help him fulfill his God-given calling and responsibilities. But this is also the final letter the Apostle wrote. It marks the end of the apostolic era. Paul writes, as an apostle to Timothy, representative of the first generation of Christian leaders. And as such, it sets out what leadership in every local church and every generation should be like. It is therefore directly applicable, without caveat, to our situation today. Now, here's the question that folks have been discussing. 
What do we mean by a Christian leader? Now, there is a danger, and I think this is right, that we can stretch the application of Timothy too thinly. It is applicable to all Christians, this letter, but in different ways. Not all Christians in churches are in leadership roles with preaching and Bible teaching responsibilities. For those of us who are, the letter has direct and obvious application. For those who are not, the letter teaches us what we should expect from Christian leaders in a local church. That matters a very great deal. For example, if you are looking for a church, and in the church you are in, it is important that we all hold our leaders accountable to what the Bible says they are to be like and what they are to do. And as a church with a major focus, as we have, on serving the church in Scotland by training and sending out gospel workers, it is important we know what we are training them to do. Now, if there is a danger that we stretch the application of 2 Timothy too thinly, the greater danger by far is that we focus the application far too narrowly. The New Testament always talks about leadership in a local church as corporate. Elders, plural. While Rog J and I are the full-time elders and the people you see up here most weeks, Chalmers does not have just three elders or leaders. There are 16. Together, they lead the church. Now, they give particular leadership responsibilities to me, Rog and Jay. For me, overall leadership, I guess, for Rog, map training, church-wide training, small groups, for Jay, children and youth, and membership, global mission. Timothy is a full-time elder, given particular leadership responsibilities, but the responsibility to lead is with all of the elders leading together, and that is much, much safer. One of the major historical weaknesses in the Scottish church has been a two-tier eldership or two-tier leadership where the minister is the full-time elder and usually just one of them makes all the decisions that others simply accede to. That results in all sorts of problems. It has contributed to the decline of the church. Another manifestation of this problem is restricting word ministry to one preacher or restricting word ministry to only preaching. All elders in a church should be preaching or teaching the Bible. That is how they lead. And under the oversight of the elders, godly men and women gifted to teach should be equipped and encouraged to do so. Now, Rog, Jay, and I recently had a couple of training days with our leaders in training. Adam and Amy will join us from Redeemer. And it was great to have some of our elders there too. One of the topics we looked at was the power of the Holy Spirit in preaching and Bible teaching. We studied together what the Bible teaches on this, and our conclusion that when the Bible is preached or taught faithfully, the Holy Spirit will be actively engaged through his word. And added to that, the Holy Spirit indwelling the preacher or Bible teacher and indwelling those hearing or studying the Bible together, active, the Holy Spirit in godly hearts, People say, and rightly, I think this is right, that the Holy Spirit is quenched in the life of the church in Scotland. A major reason for that, and there are others, is restricting the ministry of the Word, the sword of the Holy Spirit, to few people, too few people. 
No, I'll leave that with you. And perhaps we can pick up on it in the Q&A. Let's turn to uh, our passage uh, tonight uh, with uh, a range of people in mind as to who are leaders, current leaders. Uh, we can embrace in that small group leaders, leaders of different ministries in the church, and future leaders. Any of you? Three points. You'll see them on the service sheet. Uh, short and snappy and non-alliterated as usual. I think we've got two C's tonight. That's pretty good. We could add uh, point to number three. Come on then. It's so worth it. <laughs> I thought you liked my grammar in, in point three. It's so worth it. Uh, that's just colloquial, but it's good. It just gets it. Right. Church leaders like Timothy are to entrust ministry to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. Let me show you where I got that from. Verses one and two, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful uh, men, the word is uh, people, just it's a non-gender specific word, who will be able to teach others also. Now, just very quickly on verse one, uh, we've seen this a number of times in the letter. Uh, the principle and the encouragement of verse one, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ. And the constant refrain through the letter is whatever the apostle asks us to do or exhorts us to do, he gives, uh, the Lord Jesus gives us the supernatural resources to do what he asks. So all that follows, you do so in the strength that is yours in Christ. Now, verse two. What you have heard from me, Paul writes to Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful uh, people who will be able to teach others uh, also. Now, that is exactly what we were talking about a few minutes ago by way of introduction. Paul is writing to Timothy as one of the leaders in the church in Ephesus. We know that the church in Ephesus has a number of elders, and this letter is relevant to them all. But at this point in the letter, at this critical point in the letter, when Paul is about to set out for Timothy and the others currently in leadership, what Christian leadership is to be like. At this point in the letter, Paul almost departs from his line, except he doesn't. And he encourages Timothy and the other leaders to entrust ministry to others. We might say equip or train others. Who are they to entrust this to? Answer number one, faithful people. That means uh, godly people, people who have a clear grasp of the gospel. The people who should be given leadership responsibilities in churches are those with gifts to teach, if it's a Bible teaching or a preaching role. But more importantly, I would say that because it's neglected of the two is the godliness of the person. Faithful people, moreover, are people for whom the guarding of the gospel matters. People who evidence a godly lifestyle and a pattern of life described in this letter, the signs, the marks of godly shepherd leadership. Faithful people, godly people, second, who will be able to teach others also, that is, people with a gift to teach. Faithful, godly people with a gift to teach. Now, there's something else going on here. Signposted in the text, 
I think, by the reference to teaching, uh, and the words I have in mind are others also. And the sense is that the people Timothy and the other leaders in Ephesus are to identify and train are themselves then to take up the responsibilities to train others. Signposted by the reference to others also, and even more so by that little word at the beginning, entrust. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful uh, people. Now, we've already heard the word entrust in the letter. Just look back in your Bibles. Let me show you. One twelve. Paul speaking about himself. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me from Jesus to Paul, the apostle. One fourteen. Paul speaking to Timothy. The, 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 one of the leaders in the church, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You see the pattern from the Lord Jesus to the apostle entrusted to you, from the apostle to Timothy, the first generation Christian uh, church leader entrusted to you. And now to two, entrust to them who will be able to teach others also. You see the logic, entrusted to me, entrusted to you, entrusted to others who in time will themselves entrust to others. Now that's called uh, succession. Uh, and in most uh, walks of life, succession is vitally important, but has been uh, sadly missing in the life of the church. Imagine if there was no succession in medicine. Question, how many people who are qualified doctors in the UK have an actual functional, practical part of their job that involves training the next generation? 100%. It's part of the, the oath they take. How many people in education? 50-60%. Barna Goble did a big survey of the Scottish Church in 2015. How many leaders, and by that they meant sort of sole person, even though that was a problematic question, felt that training was an important mark in the life of the church, 4%. And here we are, right in the middle of this letter, the Lord Jesus to the apostle, to the first generation, to the next generation, to the next generation. That pulse heartbeat should be living and working in the life of a local church. Multiple generations in view. Uh, lastly, what are they to entrust? The word entrust means, uh, it's an interesting word, it means something very precious that needs to be guarded and passed on through the generations without damaging it, without changing it in its essential composition. Pass it on before it is lost. Don't tamper with it. Don't change it. Uh, don't hold on to it till it's too late. Pass it on, but be careful about who you pass it on to. The text makes it clear that what is to be passed on and trusted from one generation to the next is unchangeable. It doesn't mean to say that you execute the stuff in exactly the same ways. Of course we don't. We're not functioning like a church in all sorts of ways and shouldn't as previous generations did. That's an important consideration. But the essential stuff never, ever, ever changes. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust 
to others. Jesus' word through his apostles, the true and glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus, and the proclamation of that word, preaching and Bible teaching, and the pattern of life and ministry that goes with it, the pattern, the lifestyle of Christian leadership that Paul is about to describe in verses 3 through 7. The pattern that is modeled on Jesus' life and the apostles' life in verses 8 to 13. That pattern is relevant for every generation. Now, let's just... Let that sink in. It's so important. How do we know it's for every generation, what he's about to set out? How do we know it's for the next generation? Well, just look down at verse 14, the beginning of next week's passage. Whatever I'm going to say to you now about what it looks like to be in leadership, remind them of these things. Who are the them? The them are the faithful people in verse 2. Now, let's look at what Christian leadership involves. Point number two, church leaders who are faithful will endure suffering now for a future reward. Verses 3 to 7. Let's read them. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now we've got soldiers, full-time and reservists here. We've got uh, athletes here of varying uh, abilities. And we haven't got any farmers, but we've got children of farmers. So you can correct me if I get this wrong. Now, we could substitute other professions in. Think about that. You might just look at other professions and, and, and apply them here. Now, the principle is this. The principle is this. Share in suffering now. We'll come back to that word share. It's a very precious word. Share. Share in suffering now for reward to come. The principle is suffering now for reward to come. The now is the life, this life, our life on earth, the reward to come is heaven eternity. That's the basic principle. Where do we get that from? Well, we get it from uh, verse uh, 3a, share in uh, suffering. And let me just expand a little bit. I'll just give you the references. We'll not look at them. All over the letter, Paul emphasizes again and again the experience of the Christian leader now is suffering. That's what it says. It's not that you seek it, that would be daft. It's not that you enjoy it, that would be Scottish. It's just inevitable in normal times for the church. Verses 8 to 12 of chapter 1. Share in suffering, I suffer. Chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. My persecutions and sufferings, in that very strong verse, in verse 12 of chapter 3, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All. Chapter 4, verses 6 to 8, Paul looks forward, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. That's the future. Suffering now in the life as a Christian leader for reward to come. 
share in suffering, suffering now. That is the experience of Christian leaders who are faithful to the gospel. We know what faithful to the gospel means. Guarding the gospel, the one true and glorious gospel, proclaiming that gospel. And the theme of suffering now for reward to come is conveyed also by the three illustrations of what Christian leadership is like. The soldier, the athlete, the farmer. The soldier, single-minded and not distracted, is the now. Their reward, pleasing the one who enlisted them. We could say their commanding officer. And for the Christian leader, that's when we meet the commanding officer face to face. And he gives us a verdict in our service. Christian leaders held to a higher standard. The athlete, disciplined, competing according to the rules now. That's the now, their reward, the victor's crown. For the Christian leader, the crown is in heaven and eternity. The hard-working farmer who one day will share in the harvest. The harvest in the Bible is usually spoken of in terms of the eternal harvest, the fruit of our labors, the sowing of the seed, preaching and teaching of the word that will only truly be seen in the word to come. Suffering now for the reward to come as a principle. And it's, again, what Paul is saying in this letter is so helpful. They're so important. They're very clear lines. Suffering now, reward to come is the principle. For all faithful Christian leaders in normal times, If that principle is lost, then two things will happen. One, and the most common, is that the Christian leaders will change what they teach. Or, if false promises are made, Christian leaders will burn out and be destroyed by false expectations. Now, this is not to say that there are not times when future glory breaks into the here and now. So, for example, we do not know our commanding officer's uh, pleasure in person, even though we do in some sense in our hearts. For the athlete, there are high points, even in the hard grafts and months of training. Athletes have personal bests and other things. They have days when they run like the wind. And like the farmer, the Christian leader sometimes has the wonderful joy, a small group leader, a wonderful joy, uh, an elder of welcoming someone into the church, the household of God, because they have come to faith. But the essential principle holds suffering, now reward to come. And, and it's, not, it's not the kind of take of, of this church. It's the apostles' words to the church. Is there pleasure in suffering No. (laughs) And yes, if you ask the question, is there pleasure in being a soldier, an athlete, or a hardworking farmer, there is pleasure, there is pride in vocation, there is worth, there is pleasure and pride in the right sense in Christian leadership, it is a worthwhile vocation. Now, what do we learn from these descriptions of Christian leadership? Put yourself in these shoes if you are a small group leader or an elder 
a full-time elder or an elder with uh, other work or a ministry leader in a church or aspire to, to, to these or people being trained. Number one, the number one brushstroke on the canvas is a soldier. It's a soldier. Single-mindedness. Not distracted. What does that look like for a Christian leader? A single-minded focus on shepherd leadership and word ministry, for example. Not getting distracted by other things. The athlete, disciplined, competes according to the rules. What does it look like for a Christian leader? Discipline, not cutting corners, not cheating, training in godliness. And you see, like the athlete, you only see the athlete in the event. You only see the Christian leader when they lead you. You don't see what goes on behind the scenes. But what goes on behind the scenes is what authenticates. It's the training, the training in godliness. Not cutting corners, not cheating. True for people training for Christian leadership, just as true for those in Christian leadership. The farmer, hard work. What's the context of hard work in Timothy? Well, just lean over to verse 15 of chapter 2. Hard work with the word of God. Do your best to present yourself as one approved. A worker who rightly handles the word of truth and the hard work of shepherd leadership. Farmers. Let me tell you a little uh, snippet from, uh, we had a number of uh, couples around on Friday night who are getting married and uh, we got them all to tell the stories of their um, engagements. And uh, one particular couple whose uh, father was a farmer um, had to get engaged first thing in the morning and because they were working on the farm that was the end of the festivities and they were out there uh, it's true isn't it uh, it was absolutely true and uh, the two people up there who've got red faces it was them I often bemoan the fact that we all face forward in church but this is a good occasion for that think of the farmer the shepherd, the shepherd, the shepherd. This is a leader, the shepherd. Out there in all weathers, like tonight. The only people out in all weathers like tonight are people with dogs or shepherds. Farmers. Or doctors. Or emergency services. Caring for the sheep, feeding the sheep, protecting the sheep. Always thankful there's a good shepherd ahead of them. Christian leadership is a vacation. It's a life calling. It's all in. The discipline, dedication, hard work of a soldier, an athlete, a farmer. So what's the suffering? Not, I think, the discipline and dedication and the hard work and the cost of what you might have to give up. I'm not really sure that, certainly in my mind or heart, is in the realm of suffering. That's in the realm of that's positive, it's a good thing. The suffering for a soldier is getting killed. That's the most obvious. The suffering for an athlete is when others are cheating and cutting corners around them and they lose. Suffering for a farmer is all manner of weather that besets. 
The suffering is because faithful gospel leaders will be opposed. That's all over this letter. They will be opposed by those outside the church, sometimes from inside the church. That is especially so in lean times. Later in the letter, Paul will exhort Timothy to preach the word in season. Yep, that's fine, but out of season. It's like going fishing out of season. When the fish are all hibernating. Feel like you're just flogging a dead horse. So let's change the message. Preaching and teaching the word of God out of season is hard because people won't listen. They won't endure sound teaching. This is quoting from later in the letter. Instead, they will gather around them people to teach them what they want to hear. That's exactly how it is. When you face that kind of pushback, desertion, the temptation is to change the message. Faithful Christian leaders are at the front line of spiritual warfare. The temptation to get distracted by other things, stuff that takes you out of the front line of spiritual warfare, spending time doing stuff the devil will not oppose. Faithful Christian leaders will face the temptation to not put in the training to break the rules all around. People are cutting corners, not putting in the hard miles, cutting corners. And let me just say that this is a, a, a risk for those who are further down the track in the job. They'll be found out in the end, but often it looks like they get away with it. Faithful Christian leaders will face the temptation not to work hard with the word. People won't notice for a while. But what will you notice after a while is that people won't change. And the devil, as he is doing, will try and take Christian leaders down in all sorts of other ways. Verse 7 is interesting. Um, it's a strange verse to put in. Think over what I say. It's a preacher's dream. And it says the application is over to you. <laughs> Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. There's a God sent to us to take home tonight. Think about it. Pray about it. Talk about it. Apply God's word is, is not just come and gone. This is important stuff in these letters. But the instruction in verse 7 is addressed specifically to those in Christian leadership or those being equipped for it. Um, future leaders, think about this. Now, as I've prepared this week, I've had more time to think than you about this. What I've been thinking about is our elders who share in shepherd leading in chambers and in word ministry, but who work full-time in other jobs. Most of them, in our case, extremely demanding and stressful jobs. Hand on heart, I can say to you that the number one priority in all of their lives is their role as shepherd leaders in this church. And our elders who are retired, a number long since retired, not off doing other things, still shepherding, still teaching, elders meetings every fortnight, all the stuff I send them to read and Rog and Jay sends them to read, talk about, pray about, teaching in small groups, caring for people, leading the church through difficult times, how we thank the Lord for them. So much better than if it were just me, Rog and Jay. Way back when I first came 15 years ago, it was me. And the elders, all 35 of them, 
who did everything I asked. How risky was that? By God's grace, we got through it to much safer ground. By God's grace, we got through not only to much safer ground, but a much fruitful ground, the ability to do so much more for the sake of the gospel, not least when suffering comes, you do not suffer alone. You suffer alone, you do not keep going. You suffer with others, you keep on. And thank the Lord for all our LGG leaders, our small group leaders, our ministry leaders. Thank the Lord for all of the people who want to train for vocational ministry roles here. Is it worth it? Is it worth it for one of our elders who's at the young end, who's so exhausted on a Wednesday night that sometimes his head droops and he falls asleep? Is it worth it for our 70-year-olds who graft away Is it worth it to be a small group leader? Is it worth it to be a shepherd out there in the storm, loving, caring, seeking, finding, reading with people? Is it worth it to put your neck on the line? Is it worth it as a group of leaders to take a church out of one context into another if it costs four million pounds? Is it worth it? Is it worth it if that is your future, whether you are, let me just be really clear on this, one of the weaknesses in the emerging vision for training, which is great, is that it's a certain age bracket. Is it worth it if you're 50 or 55 or older, or 20 or 25 or 30, wanting to, to commit to leadership of some form because people have seen in you godliness and giftedness? Is it worth it? Now, here's my departure from good grammar. It's so worth it. Now let's get some concrete evidence to say why. When you realize who you are sharing and suffering with and for whom. It's very striking, isn't it? Verse three, share in suffering. We've already had it in one eight. Share in suffering. Share in suffering. We are not called to suffer alone. In his prayer, rightly, David Vosges I think I can remember rightly, you prayed for Christian leaders who are lonely. They shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. There are many who are, so it's right to pray for them. Christian leadership is corporate leadership. What a blessing that is when suffering comes. And who do we suffer 
with. Remember Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Remember the apostles. Verse 9, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. And remember too, and this is profoundly encouraging, just in case we conclude that this, what Paul is talking about in this letter is only for some. It is for Christian leaders, but in verses 11 and 12 and 13, he quotes this kind of hymn that, that, that seems to be saying that, that, that this is for all Christians. If we have died with him, we will live. If we endure, we will reign. If he deny him, he will deny us. It's very like Mark 8. We were there this morning. Uh, uh, Jesus called everyone to him and he says, if anyone would come after me, they must take up uh, their cross. If anyone is ashamed, that's Timothy language, of me in this generation, I will be ashamed of them. Remember who we are suffering with, the Lord Jesus and the apostles and Christians all over the world. And it's not that we stand beside each other and encourage each other by each other's example. We share, we participate in suffering. Paul uh, wrote that in, in, in Philippians, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share, may participate, participate, actually participate supernaturally in the sufferings of Christ that lead to glory. Now, the last word. It's so worth it. When we remember who we suffer for. Somebody asked me how I was feeling after 15 years. And my honest answer was full of beans. We, we could all stand up here and say we, we love you. I mean, I'm knackered. But that's not what I mean. <laughs> And this is what Christian leadership boils down to for a small group leader, for an elder, for a ministry leader. I endure everything for the sake of the people of God. Hiccup. Take a deep breath. I just, I wouldn't have said that unless it was an eight-year-old. Right, here we go. We're all going to remember this. Ten. Yes, you're ten. Remember this, Naomi? Yeah. You'd endure anything. Would Fee endure anything for her child? 100%. A Christian leader will endure anything for the sake of God's people for the sake of their obtaining the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory, getting home to glory. So worth it. So worth it. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we pray that you would seal these important truths to our hearts, that we would embrace them, that we would embrace the corporate dimension that is all over this letter. Help us never to be lone ranger Christian leaders, but to work with others and thank God for each other. With all the grist to the mill and the gremlins and the problems that go with that, because we are sinners, jars of clay. And we pray that across this country, you would raise up in answer to prayer many, many people who will be elders, who will be small group leaders, who will be ministry leaders, children, youth group leaders, people serving in local churches. Help those who are gifted and godly, who have not found a way in to do that, to find a way in. Help churches to help them. And we pray that many, many people will come to that point where they will consider it so worth it. So worth it because they participate in the sufferings of Christ and the apostles. Stand with Christians across the world through history. And all for the sake of the people of God. That they may obtain the salvation that is the goal of faith. And all this we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.